offer thanks for us here. I'll do that. All right. Most merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day you blessed us with, and thank you for all the many blessings that you provide for us. I thank you for this time we get to share with one another in your word. We just pray that uh, you'll open our eyes and uh, and uh, cause us to to see something that will improve our daily daily walk with you. We just ask you to bless this food that might nourish our bodies and bless us to your service. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're in uh, James chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Um, Sal, would you uh, read that for us? How far you want me to go? Just read verse 1. Okay. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Okay. My brothers. The, uh, the new, more inclusive translation also adds sisters. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, sisters, the sisters, sisters are not sisters. supposed to do this either, right? They're not supposed to. Uh, King James, my brother. <laughs> they're not supposed to show. Uh, your, your version says show. Uh, Don't show favoritism. Favoritism. Yeah. Partiality. Uh, is the, uh, the revised standard version partiality? What does the King James say? You're not supposed to show. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Lord of glory, with respect to per, of persons. A respect with, of, with respect of persons. Respect of persons. Showing respect of persons. Yeah. Favoritism. No. Partiality. Uh, I did a, a, a search on the word partiality and. Um, I, I was really surprised uh, really how often that's mentioned. That's that's really a concern in Scripture, and we don't, I don't, we don't really talk about it all that much. I don't think. Uh, but um, that's probably part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. It's not a problem. Uh, going back to Deuteronomy and the law. Yeah. Uh, you must not distort justice. You must not show the morning. Yeah, we're in that we're in that uh, church room. Did you ever read the Bible in a year? You know, so everybody's going through that. And I just got finished with Leviticus, and I'm in Numbers now. Boy, that is really, that's really dry. Well, dry stuff. You can do just fast reading. <laughs> wow. Yeah, practice your speed reading. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was I try, about, but golly, I just end up going to sleep I'm anyway. thinking about James, you know, warning against partiality. If you think about the sins that James warns against, Mm -hmm. I don't think he even talks about things like adultery or fornication. He doesn't talk about murder. He doesn't talk about drunkenness. Uh, what else is there? Carousing. <laughs> he talks about speech, the way you talk. Right? We've oh, already yeah. looked at that. He's got a big concern about that. Yeah. Here he, he warns them against partiality. 
Um, and I think in another place he has a warning about uh, being kind of presumptuous on the will of God, that you think you're going to do so and so, right? And another place he warns about paying people what they're due if you're an employer. Uh, and if you think about it, these kinds of sins are the kind of thing that um, most law-abiding people are probably most liable for. Most decent, good church-going, law-abiding people. Today, to this day. In that this day, day and in our in, day. In right? our day, right. <laughs> you still hear about it. You still hear about all the amazing news. Yeah. Yeah, because individuals can be called hypocritical. Yeah. White collar crime. This white collar crime. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. These are acceptable sins. Is it true? Yeah. Kind of. But partiality is something that's warned against in the in the law. Do not distort justice. Don't show partiality. Don't accept the bribe. For a bribe binds the blinds the eyes of the wise. When you take a, when you take a bribe, it, it, uh, you can't see straight. Bribes don't have necessary. <laughs> bribes and, uh, aren't cash. And this is one of the compliments that was paid to Jesus by the crowds or by the Pharisees. Uh, they, uh, the, uh, they, the Pharisees sent their disciples to him, Matthew 22, along with the Herodias. And they said, Teacher, we know you're sincere. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You show no deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Jesus had that kind of reputation. How rich you were, how powerful you were, right? If you're a Samaritan woman at the well or anything like and, that. Uh, and then in Acts 10, Peter begins his message to Cornelius by saying, uh, he began to speak to, to Cornelius, the Gentiles, first time the gospel preached to the Gentiles, right? Right. And he says, I truly understand now that God shows no partiality. When did he come to that understanding? How long had he understood that, you think? That God shows no partiality, but that all who uh, uh, fear him and, and uh, do righteousness are acceptable. How long had he understood that, that that would apply to somebody like Cornelius, an uncircumcised Gentile? Now, you all know the story. Oh, yeah. Since he came down from the roof. <laughs> I guess it was uh, just Double uh, brown sugar that we're laying on you. I don't need those. that understanding. He apparently didn't. He apparently, when Jesus was raised from the dead, and even on the day of Pentecost, he was he was fine preaching to Jews. Right on the day of Pentecost, Jews and proselytes who'd already been converted. Uh, as long as he's in Jerusalem, just talking to Jews. Yeah. Well, he, he was always Asian. Yeah, he you know, was always the unclean animals. He was always Jewish. And, and, and the Lord said, "Rise, kill, and eat." No, 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 no. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't have. I don't eat that kind of food. And furthermore, I don't. I don't associate with Gentiles either. Okay. Ten thirty-four. 
where he says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Right. So he just come to that realization. Right. And James says, uh, you, you be careful. Now, although in this case, he seems to be talking not so much about difference between Jews and Gentiles, because these are all, of course, Christians. And he's, he's writing to the, the Jews who are dispersed, right, around the world. But he's talking particularly about the temptations as we'll see in, in verses 2, 3, and 4 about, uh, you know, that we want to kind of suck up to people who are, are wealthy or powerful. Um, and uh, you see that all the time where people, you know, want to take a selfie with a movie star or with a politician or somebody famous. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want to prove, you see, I, how close I was to this person. Mm. Yeah, we like we like to kind of bask in that status, don't we? Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, the but uh, let's talk a little bit about this reference to Jesus. Uh, read, read that verse again. Let's get that in mind. What does he say about Jesus? Here? As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord, our Lord. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, our glorious Lord. Glorious. Uh, the word glorious literally means uh, bright or radiant or shining. In, in the, that's the basic name of the Greek, Greek word. The Hebrew word for glorious or kabod means weighty. That which is glorious carries weight and under which one might sometimes feel humble to be in the presence of something that's, that's waiting. Uh, okay, I'm heading up here. And um, God, Scripture refers to God as light, doesn't it? He covers himself with light as with a garment. Psalm 104, verse 2. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is the very epitome of light, brighter than the sun, totally light, and no darkness. And Jesus says, but I am the light of the world. And on the mountain of transfiguration, his, his radiance really shone forth for the first time, his true glory. Peter, James, and John had a glimpse of it, didn't they? Yep. And they were overcome with fear, weren't they? In the presence of this kind of radiance, it would be like if suddenly this room were lighted up with, with an actual brightness of a noonday sun. It was sharpness. Or if it were lighted up with the brightness of a you have to get your of a, an atomic explosion. Yeah. <laughs> so James sees his brother Jesus now. Not the way he did in the Gospels, where he wondered if he's probably a little touched in the head. His family, you know, came to him and they, there's a reference to we they wondered whether he was kind of gone off the deep end. Yeah. 
but he sees him now as the Lord of glory, the Lord established in, in the very presence of God as God's Messiah. That was quite a change for James. Right? Yeah. Well, you think you think you're raised with somebody, you knew him every day, you know, this is brother, you know, and all of a sudden. And then he goes and raises from the dead. <laughs> that changes that things. That does get your attention. <laughs> that changes things. This is the only. This is the only. Only two places in James where he even uses the word, where it refers to Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first verse, he describes himself as a slave of Christ. James one one. And here, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, servant of slave of God. He sees himself as a slave, as Jesus, as the Lord of the universe. Now. That's a difference too, isn't it? And, I, and I become him. a servant of my brother. Right. I, I bow down to him. I consider him my absolute Lord. And equating him with God. And, oh, yeah. and equating him with God. Yeah. Yeah. Servant of God and thank you. Yeah. And to say that he is the Lord and glory is also really equating him with the very glory of God. What do you need, guys? The way he puts it, he doesn't say uh, it's a sin against God to show partiality. That's not really what he says. He says, don't, don't try to claim the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory while showing partiality. If you're going to claim that you are a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, don't, don't show partiality. Those things, that's a contradiction. Right. That's, that's the way he puts this particular warning. If you're, if you're going to be, be a Christian, or claim to be a Christian, this is something you really need to avoid. And then, um, while you guys are reading, I'll, eating, I'll read to you here. If a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, you got two different kind of people who show up at church. Right? Uh, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes, you know, that, that would catch your eye. Somebody with these expensive clothes on, and particularly with the fine rings. And rings were often used in the first century as a sign of status and authority. Um, uh, and one could tell the status of a person by looking at the rings on their finger. So if you, if you say to that person, well, have a seat here in a good place, please. The one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit by my footstool. You, <laughs> you can sit in the back, you know, like the days of segregation, you know, had a, a place for them up in the balcony. Put the black people up in the balcony. Uh, I wonder, I wonder what churches did with did with this passage of scripture during days of segregation. My pastor. Yeah. How could you how could you uh, justify 
Well, and when they justified everything separated. else economically separating, they weren't they weren't equal. It wasn't referring to them because they were not equal. But it's okay to separate them based on their color. You couldn't separate people based on their, how wealthy they were, but it's okay to separate them based on their color. But they weren't separating them based on color. They were separating them based upon that color was the outward indication, but basically what they were saying was that these people aren't, aren't as human. They're not of the same the same value. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just a different color. But the only way you could determine their value was their color. That's the only that's what made you determine they didn't have as much value as their color. That was the only distinction. But it, I guess their color and their hair and their, Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't that they were less valuable because of their color. The color was just an indication of who they were. They were basically discriminating. But anyway, uh, uh, you couldn't have that. You had that over in Africa for many churches, ages. you know, who were somehow or other could claim, claim the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and make distinctions based like that, couldn't they? Uh, and so he says, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts. The thoughts behind those kind of distinctions, those are evil thoughts. To think somehow or other that this person who's got some higher status based on his, uh, his wealth is somehow or other to be preferred, that that's preferable. That's a very evil thing to have in your mind or to think that somehow or other that you're a better person. I'm a better person because I'm, I'm more wealthy. I live in a bigger house. I drive a nicer car than somebody else. That's an evil thought. Right? Yeah. Do you ever think of that as being... That's a fundamentally evil. Um, here's another. Uh, this this um, passage here where he talks about a person coming into your assembly, some uh, one person with fine clothes and who's well off and another person who's obviously not very well off coming into your assembly. The word for assembly here is synagogue. Synagogue, which in English we say what? Synagogue. synagogue. If a person comes into your synagogue, <laughs> and a, but of course synagogue basically literally means a place of gathering together. But that was the uh, that was the word that was used for all of the uh, uh, assemblies for the Jews. We even use the word today, synagogue today, don't we? Mm -hmm. To refer specifically to a place of Jewish worship. We don't call our church buildings synagogues. And this is the only place in the uh, New Testament where, where that word is used for the Christian assembly, which shows, of course, uh, uh, 
how, you know, just another aspect of the Jewish background of James. This is one of the most Jewish books in the in the New Testament. But he still thinks of, of of Christians assembling. He would call the place they're going by the name, the same name he would use for where the Jews assemble, the synagogue. Uh, Which also explains why he says brethren, huh? Why he says what brothers? Brothers. Yeah. Because the women didn't assemble with them. <laughs> uh, That's even well, even today when we went to the the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, they had a woman's side and a men's side. You couldn't go on the woman's side. Head. Well, it talks about Paul when he would go into certain towns and stuff like that. How if he couldn't if he couldn't get in with the men, he would go to where the women down by the river where the women were praying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures do constantly refer to uh, God's preference for the poor. If you look at the Psalms, the word poor, uh, God uh, cares for those who are helpless and poor. He has a special uh, care and compassion. It goes all the way back to uh, the Exodus for the uh, uh, the uh, Hebrew slaves being liberated from their misery in Egypt. God's care and concern is always turned especially towards those who are disadvantaged and vulnerable. Even in the Beatitudes, now you get to the Beatitudes, uh, in the Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Luke, in Luke's version, he, he omits the qualifier in spirit. He says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, Maybe Matthew makes it possible for a person who is literally very wealthy to belong to the kingdom. As long as he's poor in spirit, as long as he knows his true poverty, that he doesn't really have anything of lasting value on this earth any more than a person who, who, live, who lives in the most destitute conditions. But there's always that temptation to think, isn't it? Like the rich man, you know, who, who had uh, so many crops, you know, I'll just build bigger barns. I can, I can just, I can, uh, I've got such a big IRA, I can just sit back and take it easy. I've got everything I need. I'm, so, you know, self-sufficient. God says, you know, what is your life? Your life's going to be taken away from you, right. just like the, the man who's poor as Job's turkey. It's so, it's so easy, isn't it, to begin to have confidence in your material possessions. Boy, no kidding. 
Some, uh, some people have thought that the early church, uh, the gospel appealed primarily to the lower socioeconomic classes. Uh, but, but there's some debate about that. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26, uh, that not many among the Corinthians, he says, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But this implies that though not many, some, some were. He didn't say, no, there's nobody in this church who was influential or noble birth. He says, not many of you. But there were some, weren't there? We know there were some people like uh, Lydia, mm -hmm. who was a seller of purple, apparently, mm -hmm. and very well-to-do. She had a house big enough to accommodate uh, a group of people, and and the uh, early in the early churches did meet in homes. Well, uh, there were some, at least some members of the church, who had a, a fairly nice house big enough to accommodate a large group. So. Um, there were, well, and there were the women who followed Jesus and the apostles around basically supported them. Right. Yeah. They had to have resources to do that. Uh, well, let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Mike, you got that open there? I think so. Chapter 2, 5, 6, and 7. Yeah. Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But he had, but you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court. Is it not the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name? by which you have been called. Yeah. Eight. It's, it's not only evil thoughts to, to give this kind of preference and partiality. He says, think about the fact that, you know, God chooses the poor, meaning probably more the vulnerable, those who, are in the, who can't help. Sometimes, sometimes people say, the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. That's not what the Bible teaches that God helps the helpless right. more than that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help who cannot help themselves. Uh, and he chooses those who are in that position uh, to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom. But, but you dishonor the person, the way God would honor the, the poor person. God would lift them up. God would show special concern. But you dishonor. You put them down. And, and he says, well, think about it. If you're dragged into the courts, if you're being persecuted, where does that usually come from? If you think about even in our culture today, who are the most vociferous and the most uh, uh, powerful opponents of the Christian faith today in our culture? The world people, people, people who wealth and status, right, in general. 
This version says, is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? They're the ones who are most likely to blaspheme the name of Christ. The name, the, and here, you know, think about what does it mean here? The name, I think your, what does your version say? The fair name? Noble, noble name. That was called over you or that by which you were called. To whom you belong. Yeah. Yeah. This verse is a name that was invoked over you. What does that refer to? Invoked when you were baptized. Yeah. It probably refers to their baptism. When they confessed the name of Christ and were pronounced to be his own. That's where that's where uh, uh, in baptism, as it was, Christ is now saying, "Now you belong to me, having been baptized into my death and raised again." Uh, to have the Lord's name, uh, to have uh, the Lord's name named over someone, that's that's the that's in the Old Testament uh, imagery for the Lord's ownership of His people. Second Chronicles and Amos 7:14, Amos 9:12. Look, we might look at one or two of those passages. Look at Amos 9:12. Uh, would you look at that? And Bob, Bob, would you look at uh, Isaiah 63:19? And would somebody look up uh, Acts 15:17? Would you do that, Mike? Okay. <laughs> What does Amos say? Now, well, so the, the section called Israel's Restoration starts in 11. It says, In that day I will restore David's fallen tent, I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that, that starts, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all nations that bear my name, because the Lord will do these things. Yeah, the nations who bear my name, they have their name invoked over them. And in Isaiah, they are yours from of old, that you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. Yeah. Yeah. They don't belong to you. They haven't been called by your name. What is this in Acts 15, where James is talking about the uh, Gentiles? So that the rest of human kind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Yeah. The Gentiles who are called, the ones who are... Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good to see you. Bob, something maybe I'm, I'm off here, but, you know, when I'm talking about, and James, about blaspheming, you know, people that are well off of South, the liberals. Isn't more today? It's almost like they're passive aggressive. They're not. They're just omitting that, leaving it Christ out of everything they do, just by omission. Probably by. Well, you know, if we say anything bad, it's going to look bad on us for the people that do believe. So we just, just by omission, they're doing the same thing. Passive aggressive. Yeah. Which is just. Well. They, well, it's, uh, it's there's a, uh, 
you think about it, you know, among the, the elite classes today, uh, racism is certainly a no-no, right? Discrimination against people of color. Um, discrimination against uh, uh, homosexuals and lesbians and trans, trans, transphobia. That's a that's a no-no, isn't it? Discrimination against them. Anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, and even um, Islamophobia. That's a no-no. Be prejudice against Islamists. Have you ever heard of any anti-Christianity? Is that a no-no? No, no, obviously not. not. Concern, is it? You are not a protected segment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, some people would say, well, after all, Christianity is so powerful anyway. You know, there's no, there's no discrimination against Christians. <laughs> well, look around you. <laughs> uh, unless you happen to be a, uh, a baker who, who doesn't want to bake a cake. Yeah. Uh, Right, a gay wedding. Yeah, it it has gotten, it's really permeated the culture. And I, I think I told you guys once before, but I had a, sitting at a restaurant with my wife, and the woman in the table, probably about three foot away, sneezed, and I said, "God bless you." She looked at me and gave me a look like she could. Like drill a hole through me, you know? <laughs> like you curse at it. Yeah, like you curse at it. It's you know? almost okay. like you'd use the, the end word, right? Right. Uh, I mean, you look. What are you doing talking like that in public? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really amazing. Okay. It's, uh, it's interesting that they... That they they attempt to tie your disagreement to things that that the world can can uh, react to. In other words, it's it's not it's not that you don't agree with them. It's that if you don't agree with them, then you must hate them. Right. Okay. That's why it's a transphobia. Well, there's no phobia here. There's no there's no hatred associated with it. Right. You know, it's that I don't agree with what, what right. someone's doing doesn't mean that I hate them. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that's what they want to tie it to because then they can, then they can, then it's not a matter of discussion. Now yeah. it's a matter of just you know, you're being evil by disagreeing. You're you're being evil. That's why they they tie up, you know, tie it to the the phobias. There's a recent Barna survey that said that 39% of the people between ages 18 and 26, Generation X, I guess it is, or something what like that. What does James say? What should be our attitude when uh, people treat us this way? You remember we went over that already? Count it all joy. Right. One verse. Right. When, uh, where is that verse? Is, it, is that in James or is that in First Peter? We, st we studied that recently. Yeah, because I can drink at the same time.
verse 2 of chapter 1. When you, whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy. So this is a trial. Count it all joy. Uh, what does Jesus say about actual persecution? If you're being actually persecuted, what should be your response according to Jesus in the Beatitude? That's a blessing. Right. Blessing. You should be count yourself happy. Because you're in good company. They did that to the prophets. They did it to they killed Jesus himself, right? You should be you should be happy when there are certain people they recognize who want you to are, condemn right. you, who want to, who are your enemies. You, you know, it's not a compliment to be considered a friend of certain people. It's not a compliment if I said you're a good friend of the mafia boss. Am I complimenting you? <laughs> you don't really want to be considered a friend of the mafia. <laughs> So count it all joy. We, and we Christians have got to be careful about not falling into that. Oh, poor me, poor me. Kind of attitude. So what does phobia mean? They accuse me of being a phobia. Transphobic or phobia. Fear. Fear of, fear of, fear of, fear of. But that, that's the, but that doesn't mean. You say that, you know, it, that all of this grows out of your own personal insecurity. That's that's the biggest put. It's not so much you're evil, you're just emotionally and mentally unstable and insecure. But they're using it as a synonym of hate, almost, aren't they? Because oh yeah. Because the question is, why do you fear? Them? Why do you fear them? That's why. That's where they tie it in. You fear them because you know you you fear what they what they're going to do. So but here, then that comes bring comes into hate. Right, exactly. Right. You begin to hate that which you fear. Right. That you're afraid. Because they want to mutilate our children. What's that? Transphobic people. Okay. Yeah. We hate people who want to mutilate our children. They pretty much want to mutilate everybody. All right, uh, we've already looked at the verses 8 and following through verse 12, which talk about the law of liberty, which seems so paradoxical because we think of law as being uh, putting us in bondage. But, it's, uh, but you really, you're going to serve something. Either you're going to serve the, the lust of the flesh, you're going to serve your carnal nature, or you're going to serve the Creator who made you in His image. So it's just a question of, of what you, who your master is going to be. Uh, but, but that was our lesson last week. But if you go down to verses 30, 13 through 26, this is this famous passage on uh, faith and works. Um, so, um, well, let's start reading around there. Uh, Larry, would you read, uh, let's just read a, a verse of each, a uh, verse around. All right. Uh, verse, starting with verse 13, and then Sam, verse 14, and so on. Between chapter 2. Yeah. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath 
show no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? That's now 15. Pick up on 15. Yeah, suppose, a, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them, if, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Even so, faith, if it has no words, it's dead, being by itself. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith of, by my works. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. Do you uh, want to be shown, you senseless person, <laughs> that faith apart from works is barren? Does not, does not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Or just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Uh, this also, I think, this argument about faith and, and works, uh, faith without works is empty in verse 20, empty or vain and dead, verse 26. It doesn't have the power to save, verse 14. That reflects, again, a, a very strong Jewish background in favor of, of obedience and the significance of the law, importance in the Christian life. And I think the influence of, of Fer uh, the Pharisees on early Christianity. Uh, now, uh, there was something. Called antinomianism. Uh, there was a that, that has cropped up periodically in the history of Christianity. The, the word nomos is the word for law. Antinomianism means anti-law, or a philosophy that the, the, the teachings of the law is totally irrelevant to the Christian. It's a little bit like what Paul says, you know, rhetorically, the rhetorical question he asked in Romans, if, if, uh, if we're saved by grace, and where sin abounded, grace abounded more exceedingly. Why not continue in sin that grace may abound? 
doesn't matter how much you sin, there's always enough grace, right? Yes, there's always enough grace. So? <laughs> sin more. Yeah. yeah. So, that, that gives uh, opportunity for, for God to be more glorified. <laughs> the we, more sin he gives, the more glory to God. We have actually heard people profess that very thing. You know, I've never, I've never heard anybody actually profess. Oh yeah, I, I had a young minister I talked to, as a matter of fact, and we had quite a discussion about that because he, that's exactly what he said. We had a discussion like that in Band of Brothers where there was a, a guy who came in and basically said, it doesn't matter what I, what I do, I can sin all I want because I'm forgiven. That sure works. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, it doesn't matter how much you sin, you can be forgiven. But the question is, if you, uh, if you really have faith that God is a merciful God, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, do, is it, uh, is it relevant whether there's any uh, sign of uh, works in your life? If, that, if that's the question, is that relevant? And what James says it's very much relevant. Your faith is totally dead if there's no words. It's totally useless. And then he says that kind of faith can't save you. That's not saving. Because part of the works is trying to be as good as he is, which means right. you never get there, so your work's never done. Yeah. It's, it's a commitment to be the slave of Jesus Christ. If you have faith in him, it means to be the slave. And, and you want to you please the master. You're not, you're not doing things that purposely, you know, displease. Just because you know that the master's merciful doesn't mean you take advantage of him. Right. Uh, one little note here on verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, you know, brother or sister, uh, that's actually in the Greek text. That's not in there to bring, to be more inclusive. Uh, the, the New Revised Standard Version, in all those places where you've been reading brothers, this says brothers and sisters. Right. And, and, I, and I think most of us would agree that logically, when James is addressing the brothers, don't, he says don't show free fertism. He, he doesn't mean it's just a sin for the men to do it. The women shouldn't do it either, right? He's including this. It's a way of talking about the whole congregation. But here he specifically adds the word sisters. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting that here he does specifically use the word, add the word sisters. Brothers or sisters, if you're going to, to um, see your brother or sister in need, and then all you can do is say, well, well, uh, I hope you. I hope you have a good day today. Go in peace. <laughs> but you don't give him any anything to eat, or if, he's, if he needs clothing, no clothing. You're not doing anything to help. He says, uh, "What good is that? What good is that kind of faith? That's just talk, isn't it?" And, and the addition of sisters here generally refers to the like the widows. Because they didn't have the men or family to care for them, so I think that's one of the reasons he specifically 
you know, calls calls that out. Yeah. One of you, yeah, sees a brother or sister who's, who's naked or doesn't have a sufficient clothing and is hungry. Right? Uh, and then, of course, James, uh, for his argument, goes back to Abraham. And this is interesting because uh, the passage uh, in, the, in, in Genesis uh, doesn't really directly connect Abraham's faith with his being justified. Genesis uh, uh, 15, 16, or 16, 3, wherever it is back in Genesis, that it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Look, it doesn't say that Abraham believed God and obeyed him and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It says he believed God. Right. But James does argue here that he was justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, there's there's believed and there's believed when you raise the knife. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's another level right. of belief. Uh, Paul, Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 4 says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Maybe you can boast about it, but you can't boast before God if, because of what you do. For what does the scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis. Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, he says, wages are, are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. Right? That's right. true. Uh, when you you work and you get your paycheck at the end of the week, that's, that's not a gift. That's not grace. That's something that you're due. You've earned that. But to one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. So David also pronounces a blessing on those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Now, uh, the question, how can you reconcile that with what James is saying? saying that, that <clears throat> faith that's nothing more than words is not real faith. That if, if the faith doesn't, if your faith doesn't change, if your faith doesn't cause you to treat people differently, to, to do things for people, to care for people, then then it's, it's not true true faith. And I think that's where where he talks about the fact that you know, just believing that God exists isn't, isn't enough. The demons believe that, you know, because it's, they happen to know it's real, right. you know. But just because just because you know that God is real doesn't mean that you have submitted to him. It doesn't mean that you call him as Lord. The demons don't call him Lord. The demons just know he exists. And the truth is that when God called Abraham to go, uh, and he said he would make a great nation out of them. And then he says, Abraham believed. 
the truth is that he didn't stay where he was, did he? He, he got up and moved. Yeah. Right. Yes. So he trusted the promise of God, didn't he? But, um, but Paul is emphasizing it. It's the fact that we are willing to Even trust. Even over the years, as it was in the league, it's not like God says, I'm going to do this for you, and he does it, and then you believe. But, but it's the fact that you're willing to trust God that you are justified. It, you're not justified because your works uh, give you finally enough credit to make you righteous. Is it? Is it your works? Uh, your you know, that's a popular notion. I'm hoping someday, you know, at the final judgment, I will have done enough that God will let me into heaven. Is that what James is teaching? No. That maybe you've got to do enough to get in. But that uh, if faith is, the faith that justifies is also the faith that works. And, and I think he lays the groundwork for that when he talks about, when just before he talks about the faith, he talks about the fact that, that even if you don't break certain laws, you break some of the law. You are a lawbreaker. You, he's saying, look, you are a sinner. You know, you may not commit murder. You may not commit it, but you are a sinner. You break some of the law. And in James chapter 5, he recognizes the fact that we need to confess our sins to one another. James doesn't really, isn't really saying, you know, that the only way you're going to be acceptable before God is if you are uh, in perfect obedience to his law in every respect. You know, because he recognizes that Christians do sin, that we need to confess our sins, and we need to pray for one another. But uh, there is a, a real, uh, uh, there is a kind of a, a tension there, isn't there? If you read Paul in Romans 4 and James, and uh, Luther, Luther would kind of rebelled against that. <laughs> See, he says James is just full of a lot of straw. You know, he doesn't have a lot of nourishment in it. Well, he, I don't know whether he is the word grace found in the book of James. I don't think it is. If you do it a search, I don't think the word grace is found. So it's a, it is a, it's a different perspective, but it is a perspective that we Christians need, isn't it? And, and um, everything that we need to know and learn is not found in just one or two sentences. It's not found just in Paul or in James or in the book of Hebrews or the book of Revelation uh, or in the Psalms. We need the entire word of God. And uh, we need to be open to things that, you know, that uh, may appear intention to some degree, but that we need to learn from. But this is, this is one where there's been a famous, you know, saying, uh, a contra contradiction. And on the surface, there is kind of a look like it. Well, brothers, 
I guess the bottom line is what motivates us to do works, good works, and you know, is it trying to get to heaven or is it? Paul says, you know, we're created trying to be more like we're we're saved by grace through faith uh, to do the works that God has prepared for us. Right. And Paul, over and over in his epistles, he always, even in the book of Romans. He, after you get to, through chapter uh, uh, 11, beginning with chapter 12, what does he say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right. And he goes on with these exhortations about how we should live. And it isn't that Paul is saying it's perfectly fine now that you're justified by grace. <laughs> Takes the day off. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Practicing all of that. Okay.